You know, it's just not fair that all these immigrants are so successful here, and I can't even find a job. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our sponsor today is Casper Mattress. Got a really neat letter I want to read to you from a listener here in a little bit. Here's some of the things we're going to be dealing with today. Questions that we've got. You know this is 48 Minutes where we unpack real-life questions. You send them in. We just kind of dissect them together and look for resources. Got some resources I want to share with you today that will help you in up-leveling your path to success. Here's some of the questions. Dan, how can I get past my inner thermostat setting that's holding me back? Dan, my kids want to earn money and the chore dollars don't go very far. Here's one. How about this? Dan, I can't be successful where I live. Can I pay an intern as a contract worker? And somebody wants to know, how do I create an income from my preaching and teaching? This person's identified their passion and talent. Doesn't have the income piece. How do you handle that with something like that? Well, here's our quotation for today. This comes from Simon Sinek. I was listening to my buddy Jared Easley's podcast this morning. He interviewed Simon talking about his latest book, Leaders Eat Last. Simon said something that really struck me. He says, we all have the responsibility to be the leader we wish we had. Now he talks about leaders. Leadership is something that is developed regardless of what your title or your position is. Authority can be given. They can put CEO behind somebody's name or COO or CFO or whatever it is, office manager. That's authority. That doesn't necessarily mean leadership. And leadership can come from somebody who does, in fact, have a lot of authority or from somebody who has none. We see that. But that's what a great call out. We all have the responsibility to be the leader we wish we had. Well, our sponsor today is Casper. I want to read you this letter from listener Paul Caps. Paul sends in questions frequently. Real involved in the 48 Days community. He says, Dan, I just retired and moved six hours west of the mountains of North Carolina. During the move, I decided it was time to replace my mattress. So I took your advice from your podcast and purchased a Casper mattress. The instructions that came in the box said to allow two weeks to adjust to it after sleeping on a conventional mattress. Let me tell you, it took only one night to make a believer out of me. I'm sleeping so much better than I ever have in 30 years, all through the night without waking up, which I didn't think was even remotely possible. Thanks again for the recommendation and special thanks for your weekly podcast. I'm glad Casper is one of your sponsors. Very best regards, Paul Caps. Well, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. You know, we're big believers in the Casper mattress. It's got all the right things, the way that it's made. You get a free trial if you want to, the reasonably priced. 500 for a twin, only 950 for a king-size mattress. So you can take advantage of a special offer that we've got here. Just go to casper.com slash sleep you love. You'll see a greeting there for 48 days listeners. And then use the promo code sleep you love to get a $50 discount. So go to casper.com slash sleep you love. Great URL. Use the promo code sleep you love to get 
$50 off. Now, we got a couple things coming up here. I want to just remind you, a lot of people have been asking about Coaching with Excellence. We only have one more of those coming up. That's August 25th and 26th right here at the Sanctuary in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. Boy, it's going to be gorgeous here. We've been having a lot of rain, so everything is really green. The flowers, the bushes, the trees, everything is really lush. We just had our family here for a few days, had the whole gang here, 23 noses, but uh, had a great time, and the property allowed us to really enjoy it. Kids climbing trees, riding a zip line, hanging around my old truck, taking pictures, and you can do the same when you come for Coaching with Excellence. So join us for that. If you have any desire to be involved as a coach, you hear a lot of stories about people who have positioned themselves as successful coaches. If you want to get my 10 tips on how to get your first 10 or your first paying client, it's my 10 tips on getting your first paid coaching client. Go to 48days.com slash clients and you can get that free list. Also, we've got the um, Ultimate Advantage Cruise coming up. Got excitement building for that. I was talking to Chris Nehemiah, our cruise director, about that just the other day. Uh, he's going to be coming with us because we're going to have a pretty good sized group on that. But yeah, we'd love to have you join us. Just go to 48days.com and look at live events. You can get all the details about the cruise. What a great way to, to relax, enjoy, learn, create new friendships, network, all of those things. <clears throat> Now, I want to talk about this. I, I, I kind of threw that in there, you know, as our opening that it's not fair. Those immigrants are so successful here. Joanna and I just got back from England. We, we spent about three weeks over there and had a chance to talk to a lot of people. We were there during the referendum vote where they voted to leave the European Union. One of the hot issues for England is the fact that they have so many immigrants coming into England with the European union, they're really required to kind of open their borders. So they have people from other countries, one of those being Poland. So there's a whole lot of people from Poland that have come in and we hear the same kind of comments about them there as we hear here about people coming from Mexico. You know, ah, they come over here, you know, they're taking jobs, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on. Well, for the most part, the people from Poland and England, like the people from Mexico here in the United States, are taking jobs that most people don't want to do. I just uh, wrote a check just five minutes ago to a guy that's been working on my property here, did some drywall and then painting, did phenomenal work. Showed up regularly when he said he would. Boom, did the work. Very reasonable price. I'm tickled to death with it. I'll use him again, believe me. And his name was not Joe or Bill. His name is Osvaldo. Well, <laughs> It just, I find people who do the work, who do good work. I was listening to Brian Buffini this week, who came here from Ireland, but came here with nothing and has really gone on to do extremely well. He coaches real estate people and is extremely successful. He's done some kind of tallying of the characteristics of these immigrants and in Thomas Stanley's book, The Millionaire Mind, if you read that, he says that 85% of the millionaires in America today are first-generation immigrants. I mean, that's pretty profound when you think about that. I mean, don't we have unique advantages by having our parents and grandparents here in the United States? What Brian did was looked at what are the characteristics that seem to be in common 
in these immigrants that again and again and again are so successful. There's seven things. I'm just going to go through them quickly just to kind of get you thinking about it. Number one, openness to learn. Do you know that 80% of U.S. families last year did not buy one book? This is just an aside. 80% of U.S. families did not buy one book last year. I track numbers like this because I'm an author. I want people to buy books. 42% of college graduates never read another book. But I find people who come here where English is not their first language, and yet they plow through books to get better, to grow personally, professionally, in relationships, in business. Anyway, openness to learn is the number one characteristic. Number two, do what it takes mindset. Don't say it can't be done. That's just a starting point. Do what it takes mindset. Number three, willingness to outwork others. Number four, a spirit of gratitude. Number five, boldness to invest. Today, it's never been easier to get into business, but a lot of people resist spending 250 bucks for a website You know, you don't have to rent a building, buy inventory, hire employees necessarily for a lot of businesses, but be willing to invest what it takes to be reasonable and present yourself professionally. Number six, willingness to delay gratification. And number seven, remember where you came from. I, I talk to a lot of people who have come from other countries in the last two months. I've talked with people from well over 25 countries at new media Europe in London alone. There were people from 18 countries. There was a small group. So I had a chance to talk to people from Switzerland, Norway, Poland, a lot of other countries, 18 different countries then went directly from there to podcast movement where there were certainly another big representation of people from around the world. But even my day-to-day activities, you know, Nashville, Tennessee is kind of a melting pot for people. So we have people from a lot of different cultures and countries here and they get a chance to talk to them and look at what are they doing that makes them successful? You know, the fastest growing group of millionaires coming from one country, you might be surprised what country that is. You might think, well, Mexico or China or even India No, the fastest growing group of millionaires who originate from another country are Russians. Now there's some interesting things happening, but here's just one example. Russians are starting businesses up in the Northwest. So we're, we're not talking about the most attractive, the most desirable geographic locations necessarily even, but they just, they find where there's opportunities and then develop those opportunities. One of the businesses where they're taken over in mass is junkyards. Now you may, you know, talk, talk to somebody who just got a degree from Vanderbilt or Belmont or just got an MBA from Harvard. Are they going to go into the junkyard business? Well, heavens no. It's a dirty, greasy, grimy business. I don't want to do that. I want to do something where I can keep my hands clean and, uh, you know, wear nice shirts and sit in an air conditioned room. Well, people who look beyond that at true opportunities see some things that we we may just walk over. Now think about the logistics, the business logistics of having a junkyard. So you're going to pay me to take your car away. And that's how it works. I mean, you, you can't just get rid of a junk car anymore. You pay to have it taken away. So you're going to pay me to take your car and then I'm going to sell it piece by piece, dismantle it and have people buy it piece by piece where I get more and more money. I mean, what kind of a business is that? where you get paid 
to take the inventory and then you resell it and make money again. Well, some of the Russians have seen that. They're taking over in mass some of the junkyards. And I happen to like junkyards. I grew up roaming the junkyards. My affinity for cars uh, made me a, a recurring customer the junkyard. So I'm still fascinated by it, but I've been tracking that and just watching what's happening there. And when you think about what kind of a business that is, that's a pretty cool business model. Well, let me go on from there. Anyway, I thought it was interesting just to share that in light of me having had the opportunity to talk to a whole lot of people in the last couple months here, you know, and, and of course it's no secret. One of the hot spots in our current political discussions, kind of a, not even a reasonable word to call them discussions because people fighting and screaming, yelling accusations, but whatever, one of the hotspots is certainly immigration. Whatever you feel about that, you can learn. I don't care what your political persuasion is on, on all that, but you can learn from what we've seen in the last few years, how people come here with nothing. And 10 years later, they pay cash for a house. Wow. Sometimes having nothing is an advantage rather than a disadvantage. I'll give you another book recommendation there. I'm, you know, can't stop giving you book recommendations. Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath addresses just that, how sometimes what we see as our disadvantage turns out to be our greatest asset. And that's true for a lot of immigrants. They come here with what we would see as a lot of disadvantages, but those somehow motivate them into extraordinary success. Well, let me move on. Mike says, this is Mike in Alabama, 48days.net and.com are not only my mentors, advisors, and mastermind group, but now my therapist. The reference on your last show to our inner thermostat setting finally hit home with me. I know about self-sabotage and all the other names for this, and I knew I had issues with this, but the light bulb finally went off and it explains so many failures and shortcomings in my life for the last 30 years. Okay problem diagnosed. This is where you come in. I need to reprogram my brain and I want your guidance. I know Zig used to cover this all the time and even had a type of self-talk that you say to yourself, I'm honest, I'm intelligent, I'm goal-directed. I want your recommendation on any books, affirmations, blog posts, etc., that you feel really address this. I'm sure it's on the subconscious level and doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is a huge deal for me. I believe Andy Andrews said he read Augmandino's The Greatest Secret like a hundred times, and that is one thing that really helped him. I hate to state the obvious, but I bet this is the underlying reason for so many people falling short in so many areas. Any guidance? Thanks for everything, Mike. Yeah. And also, Mike says, as a PS, I met Augmandino at a conference years ago and had him sign my greatest salesman in the world book. It was a paperback, and it was pretty much worn out. I apologize for the state of it. And he told me that Michael Jackson's copy looked very similar with highlights and writing in margins on almost every page. Wow. How cool. Well, when, when we talk about, well, well, for one thing, when we talk about affirmations, I'm honest, I'm intelligent, I'm gold. I, I can't help but think about Stuart Smalley. Remember Stuart Smalley, the old Saturday night live skit. Hey, here, let me, let me, I know I got a clip here. Let me play a clip real quick. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. 
Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Well, there you go. I, I, we made a lot of fun of affirmations. Personally, I believe in those. My goodness, I've done tons of those. And with our children, where we've had affirmations, and we have those on the refrigerator, on the wall, in the bathroom, and on the sun visor in a car. You have something in those three places and continually to look at it, it will really take root in your subconscious mind. So sure, have affirmations. Do them in a positive way. And certainly there are people like Andy Andrews who talk about that Zig Ziglar and a whole lot of other people. Ogmandino's material, absolutely fantastic in that arena. I mean, if we're just normal people today, we're having our minds flooded with negative information. I mean, where the latest police shooting took place, where someone used a truck for a mass killing, who the latest terrorist is, how bigoted Donald Trump is, and what a liar Hillary Clinton is. I mean, we, we hear that on and on and on. Is that the kind of information that you want in your brain? I mean, if you do, not only will you expect more negative information, you'll see it everywhere because that's what your brain is programmed to expect. But you'll also reduce dramatically your ability to do anything positive, anything great when you get trapped in that negativity. So don't do that. But there are things out there and reading. I already said, you know, 42 percent of um, well, no, it's more than that. What was it? 80 percent of families last year never purchased or families never purchased one book. Last year, 80% of U.S. families did not buy one book last year. Yeah. Well, books certainly opened the door to new worlds of opportunity for me. That's where I discovered positive expectations, the positive opportunities that were out there and continue to this day. It's through books. But things like The Greatest Secret in the World by Ogmandino. Ogmandino's University of Success by Brian Tracy's. The Success Principles, a big book you can open it anywhere and you're going to get some positive principles right there. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Zig Ziglar, already mentioned here, Mike, in your notes. See you at the top. David Schwartz, Magic of Thinking Big. Golly, I mean, I could go on. I mean, those are books that have transformed my life, my beliefs, my seeing opportunities and opening the door to what those would offer. So yeah, do that. Mike, you, you referenced the inner thermostat setting. Last week, I called it that upper limit challenge that we seem to all have where we sabotage our own success, even when it's available, because we don't think we deserve it. That continues to be a real challenge. And the book that unpacks that, that concept itself is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. But reading can open the door and help you address that. And then being around positive people, make sure that you're around people who are displaying the kind of characteristics that you want in your own life. That's one of the hallmark characteristics of successful people is they're spending time with people who are already performing at the level at which they want to perform. That's something that I took very seriously just as a kid, poor farm kid, but I started finding people, those rare individuals in that little rural town in Ohio 
that had those characteristics. And those are people that I sought out, picked their brains, wanted to spend time with. Vanessa says, this comes from uh, Africa. What would you uh, ask Dan? I'm looking for information on how to create multiple streams of income, including passive income. Can you please provide me some reliable resources? Thanks. Now what I'm going to do there, I'm, I'm going to link Vanessa to the video that I did with Michael Hyatt. Now this is a video where the topic was how to make $150,000 this year from your platform. It's how to leverage things that you have access to leverage your information and how to produce at least $150,000 a year. I'm just going to link to that instead of going through and trying to repack that unpack that again, because we've done that so many times, I'm going to link that. I'll put that in the show notes for any of you who have not seen that yet. But if you take time to just watch that video or listen to that audio, we put it up as a podcast as well. Um, it'll, it'll really give you my formula for how to create multiple streams of income. And that's worked extremely well for me over the years. Michael Elliott put this up on 48days.net, but sent it to me as well. He says, my kids want to earn money and the chore dollars don't go very far. Michael says, I have three kids, a seven-year-old boy, girl, twins, okay, and 10-year-old son. They're always asking about ways to get money. We have chores that they do as part of the household just to help around the house. We also have extra chores and jobs that they do to earn some money. They're now asking for my wife and I to add more jobs they can do for money. The only problem with that is we're pretty well maxed out on what we can pay them. Does anyone have any good ideas for kids these ages to make some money? I'm doing some research, but I thought I'd check to see if anyone has some first, any firsthand experience in that conversation on 48days.net. There have been some marvelous additions. People talking about their kids raising chickens and sheep and doing, you know, having a lemonade stand and setting up a stand where construction workers are and a lot of things. So there's a lot of information there. You can find that discussion. My kids want to earn more money and the chore dollars don't go very far. You can just find that easily in the 48days.net discussions. But also I'm going to put a link in on the podcast that Joanna and I did back in November, November 20th of 2015. Our podcast was raising creative and entrepreneurial kids. That's where we we interviewed a lot of people. We told a lot of stories about our own kids, things they've done and are still doing today. I mean, we're, I'm really current on this because we just had grandkids here and it's, it's really fun to talk to our grandkids and hear what they're doing as well. Ian and Canyon, uh, two little grandsons of mine live out in Woodland Park, Colorado, and they live up in an Aspen Grove. So they have access to a lot of trees. They cut those aspen trees. It's kind of a soft wood anyway, easy to work with, into like 12-inch slabs that are about an inch thick. And then they go to the farmer's market and they carve in those slabs a person's name. So somebody comes by with any name you want, Dan, Joanne, Miriam, Clara, whatever, and they write it with a router in that piece of wood and you walk away, it's 10 bucks. They've made a lot of money doing something that simple. Not high-tech, not sophisticated, Eliza, who's a little older, Eliza's 15 now. She is a master at henna, which is like a temporary tattoo and face painting. But in a recent two days that she was doing that at a festival there in Woodland Park, which is a small community, but she made 720 bucks in two days doing her face painting and a henna. That's pretty decent income for a gal, a 15 year old to sit there. But anyway, that 
that podcast, Raising Creative and Entrepreneurial Kids, will give you a whole lot of ideas about what your kids can do. And yeah, great ages, seven-year-old twins, 10-year-old son, there's a whole lot of things they can be doing. And what a great way to, to be able to teach them. I, I had in there too, I think I had the little clip where I'd interviewed Jody Mayberry, whose son plays the violin. And he saw somebody on one of the streets in their town, you know, playing a guitar with his guitar case open in front of him, people dropping money in. And he thought, wow, could I do that? So he was 10 years old. So Jody said, sure, you can do that. So he took him down there. He played for 61 minutes and got $47. I remember the specifics because it was $1 short of 48. I would have thrown that in had I been nearby. But uh, 47 bucks for an hour for a 10-year-old playing his violin and just people making contributions. All right, well, let me go on. Rachel says, I graduated in 2014. After two years of working three part-time jobs, I moved to where my parents are and took a job as a teacher's assistant. I'm only making a little bit more money than I was working three part-time jobs. So much wisdom advice for job searching is for cities and large areas. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's not a city in the county. My ultimate goal is to write a book. I would also like to go back to school to get a master's in library science. One of my part-time jobs was in a library. I loved it. But to write a book, you need other income. And to go back to school, you need income and other loans. I'm struggling with what to do. I hope to get another part-time job sitting with an elderly lady this fall. It'll be more income to help me pay my bills. Thank you, Rachel. Wow. You know, when we think that our success is limited by where we live, we really start to close in on what the possibilities are. I mean, never before has it been so possible to be successful regardless of where you live. When you think about the kind of things that people are doing, geography is really no issue. I mean, take what I do, coaching people. Well, 20 years ago, if I were a coach or a counselor, I would rent a little office, hang out a sign, and people would come to my office and sit across from me and we'd talk through what they wanted to accomplish. Now we're going to get there. Certainly a legitimate model, but today the, the logistics have changed dramatically. I can be very, very specific. I could coach people who are 55 years old, who have left their job in the last year, don't really want to retire. I mean, I could get so specific in what I wanted to coach because I can get that message out and I may have somebody from Seattle or Houston or San Diego or Los Angeles. It doesn't matter because we can jump on Skype, see each other. We can get in a zoom room or we can just do it via the phone. There's all kinds of ways to connect and effectively coach where geography has no bearing on it at all. So I can choose to live. I mean, I can choose to live up in the Rocky mountains in a hut if I want to, as long as I have internet access, I can choose to live there. Now, can you have a traditional job with a company living in a very rural area? Well, that's different. But what I would encourage you to do, Rachel, is start to look at what are things that you could do? What is it that you do that has unique value? If you're working as a teacher's assistant, if you want to write a book, what would that book be about? What is an area of expertise that you have where you could perhaps blog about that? Start to create valuable content about that. Maybe you could do a little ebook before you do a traditional book that you could put up and make available for $7.95. I mean, if you sold a thousand of those, I mean, that'd be a nice little bump. 
I mean, you can do those things no matter where you live. Don't see yourself restricted just because you live in a rural area. There's a, I was listening to another podcast this week. I was listening to Jeff Goins on his podcast, The Portfolio Life, and he interviewed Eric Weiner, who has a new book, The Geography of Genius, which I loved. Ordered the book immediately. The Geography of Genius, because what he did was looked at why is it there there are pockets where genius seemed to just explode? You know, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, people like that. Why was it that in Florence, Italy, there were so many people that came out of there that seemed to be geniuses, inventors? Why is it that in Silicon Valley, why is it that in London, you know, why is it that there are certain spots that seem to be real hot spots for genius to emerge? Now he's quick to say though, that it's not a, a cause, you know, a causal effect. It's not because they live there. You know, those people probably would have been successful anywhere. Now here's an interesting kind of segue on that. We have a lot of people come to events here at the sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. They come here. Yes, there is something magical that happens when people come here. And we've seen it played out again and again and again, where people say, oh my gosh, we want to move to Franklin, Tennessee. And a whole lot of young couples have done that because they think this is the spot where ideas really erupt. I mean, they see people here like Jeff Goins and John Acuff and Dave Ramsey, and Michael Hyatt, and Dan Meller. And we can go on and on. Yeah, there's a whole lot of us here who are doing kind of cool things. But I don't think it's because we live here. And I encourage people, be careful about thinking there is some magic by just being at the right geographic place. You still have to get in the game. You still have to have something of value. You still have to have a plan. You have to be strategic and intentional about what you're doing. And if you do those things, I think you can be successful anywhere. So don't think that you're limited where you are, but look for the unique things that you have to offer where you are and then start to build on those. Bonnie says, I'm ready to start a side business and have several ideas to implement. And I am in particular struggling with the computer aspects of it though. Recently when going to sign up for URL, I got overwhelmed with all the options in addition to just buying the name. Therefore I didn't even make the purchase and have not gotten any further. Additionally, I don't know much about building a website. Would you please be able to recommend a resource for guidance on the computer technical aspects for a startup business? Additionally, some of my ideas are unrelated topics, food, dog care, fitness, real estate, productivity. The initial products I plan to provide will be in the form of eBooks. Do you have any suggestions on how I could incorporate them all under one website as I build my business rather than managing multiple websites for each subject? I'm grateful for all you share in your books and podcasts. You always motivate me and are most appreciated. Well, Bonnie, thank you for your note. It just so happens I talked to one of our 48 Days coaches yesterday who is perfectly aligned with what you are describing. Her name is Michelle Hammonds. She's very, very successful in the IT world, but she is an IT coach for startup businesses. She does exactly what you're describing. Now, here's how I I approach this. I know very little about computer technology. I mean, we have a pretty robust business and a lot of things going on. But if I spent my time learning computer technology, it would reduce the time and energy I can put into writing or coaching people. 
my time is better spent doing only what I can do rather than what someone else can easily do. So as I say a lot of times, and even on a little business like what I have, there are probably 20, 25 different things that need to be done. I probably do two or three of those pretty well. That's where I want to spend my time. I have no idea. I, I could no more put up a website than the man on the moon. I, I have no idea how it works. People ask me about our shopping cart system. I know we use Entreport. I know we can use that to track customers. And, but you ask me about numbers, how we do that, what people are being sent. I mean, I don't know any of that stuff. I just have people who do that extremely well, leaving me free to do what only I can do. And I think that makes a smarter business. So you may think, well, gee, I can't afford to bring people in when I'm not making any money, but be careful of thinking that way. It'll slow your progress down dramatically. You can accelerate your process by having somebody who does know what they're doing, help you right out of the gate. That's the way I would suggest you approach you approach it. Um, Michelle Hammonds, I'm going to send her your note. So she, she's a great gal. Her website is creativityplaybook.com and her email address is Michelle at creativityplaybook.com. But she's, that's what she's doing and she'd be a great one for you to connect with. Pamela says, thanks for your advice on a previous podcast to hire interns. I'm a vocal coach in Houston and I wanted some help coordinating my Vocal studios give back performances at retirement homes. Per your advice, I got in touch with the nearby community college's head of the theater department and asked him to send his best recommendations for an intern for my vocal studio. He did so, and I had some applicants. I chose one. She's very excited for the intern position to be coordinating these performances with my students in a community. Now, do I need to apply for an EIN to pay her for her work as an employee or pay her as a contract worker? I appreciate hearing all of your clever ideas each week. Well, thanks, Pam, my clever ideas. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you can use her as an intern. We like that idea. We had just brought on some interns to help us with one particular part of our business, uh, promoting the disc profiles in companies and organizations around the country. They're interns. Now, to have it, to be an intern, and I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link that actually goes through. There's a link. It's the internship programs under the Fair Labor Standards Act. I mean, there are some guidelines. If you just bring somebody in as an intern and you just have them mow their yard for the summer and you don't pay them anything, no, you can't do that. You have to pay them. And that's probably not a real value to learning experience for them. And that's part of the definition. If somebody's going to be an intern, it has to be a true learning experience for them. If it is, if it really adds to their education, you may not have to pay them the intern at all. I mean, there are a lot of intern positions that don't pay anything. So you can choose to do that and not pay anything. But certainly I would encourage you not to have to get an EIN and pay that person as an employee which for what may be a short period of time. Pay them as a contract worker. And you can do that very effectively. You'll need a W-9 from them. You'll issue a 1099 to them at the end of the year. Not complicated things at all your bookkeeper account can walk you right through those but yeah keep it clean don't go beyond paying that person as beyond paying them just as a independent contractor yep not an employee doris says i enjoyed 
reading, can I do this and make money? Regarding the three components. Now, what Doris is talking about are the three components that finding your sweet spot that I talked about a couple weeks ago. Again, that beautiful blend of passion, talent, and money. She says, regarding the three components, my passion is the gospel. Talking is my strongest talent, yet I'm at a loss for the model for creating income. I'm a minister and everybody tells me I should be heard by every person in the world. I love preaching and teaching the gospel and do it without being paid. That is truly my passion. But Dan, how can I create an income model in this field? Some preachers do receive honorariums. Some think that's being a hireling. What would be the balance? Thanks for your help of the podcast. Well, Doris, you just opened a bag of worms here. This, this is a theological rabbit hole and we don't have time to unpack it totally. I'll tell you my opinion and it's probably not a popular one. I think it really muddies the water for somebody to be paid for preaching. I think you immediately remove the freedom of that person to preach really what they think is coming from God and what ought to to be said to saying what they think the people want to hear because those people are paying their mortgage and buying their groceries. Okay, enough said. I don't even want to go down that anymore. But I think there are ways you can do what you want to do. I mean, I, I taught Sunday school for years. When I taught Sunday school for years, I was certainly never paid for that. But while I was doing that, because of requests from people for materials based on what I was teaching, I developed the 48 days to the working materials. And it's, you know, no secret, it's made me millions of dollars. So if you have a content area that you're creating like that, where there really is a need that goes beyond just the church walls, sure, you can develop that. But be careful Well, here's the other thing. I don't want to ever imply that everything we have as a passion ought to be turned into a money-making venture. There are a whole lot of things that should just remain passions. And I suggest this may be one of those. Don't allow it to take all of your time, but you can have a great way to make money during the week doing something else about which you're passionate and then preach on the weekends. You know, there are a lot of churches that can't afford to pay a pastor, but would love to have somebody good, competent, inspiring, motivational, persuasive to come in on the weekends and deliver messages. Do that. I mean, find ways to be involved, but keep it as a hobby rather than trying to force it to be something that provides your income. I mean, we see this with artists and musicians. I mean, I worked with a young gal one time. She was a family friend. She was a Christian musician. So she knew she was called to do that. You know, we get all those Again, churchy words thrown in there and it complicates the dynamics of what really is going on. But the bottom line is she was trying to make a living from her singing. Well, that meant that she would go out to a little country church on Sunday night, having two nickels in her pocket, empty gas tank in her car, hoping against hope that they would give her 200 bucks so she'd have groceries that she could buy for the week and put gas in her car. I said, Debbie, why are you making this so complicated? You're a talented administrator. Why don't you get a job using your administrative skills so that you remove all pressure from generating income from your singing? She did that. Took a job at Fruit of the Loom in Bowling, uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think she's still there. Makes a very, very good salary doing that. And it immediately changed her whole heart and spirit about her singing. Now she can go to that little church on a Sunday night and really bless them, sing from the heart, knowing that it really doesn't matter. She's not going to have her electricity turned off on Monday morning if they give her nothing. If they get, And you know what's happened? Her donations have gone up 
because she comes in with a different spirit, a spirit of really giving rather than taking. So if you continue to give freely in your preaching and teaching, I think it'll accelerate your success in other areas of your life rather than if you turn that into one of taking where you have to be paid for that or you aren't going to do it. Eh, it just, I, I don't think that's an area where that works well. Well, a couple more here. Mark says, Dan, I wanted, if I wanted to purchase a book, but purchase it in the format that on the average would give the most profit to the author, which format would it be? An ebook, physical book or audio? Thanks for all you do. Well, there's a, a whole, there's too many possibilities here to cover them all, but for, let's take me, for example, if you want to make sure that I make the most profit, buy a physical book from me. Now here's how that breaks down. I mean, if you buy it from Amazon, you know, I'm going to get a buck 50. If you buy it from me and buy a $20 book, I probably paid no more than $2 for that. I'm going to make $18. Sure. I mean, we sell lots of books and we make way more money selling books ourselves than we get on royalties from those being sold through other retailers. Now, some people aren't set up with a distributor like that. They aren't set up with a publisher. So it's a lot different. A lot of people today are doing something where they're more in the driver's seat. But in general, the author is going to make more from a physical book. If he's done a good job, he or she has done a good job in getting that printed and controlling the cost. Now, if you get $10 in a book, that's a different story. I know authors who buy their own books on Amazon to have them at the back of the room to sell when they speak. I mean, that's ludicrous. That means they didn't do their homework. They didn't do a good job of setting up the agreement with the publisher on the front end. I don't have agreements like that. I mean, I buy my books hardback, 240 page printed books, pay $1.91 a piece for them with a dust jacket on and everything. So we sell those for $20. Sure. I'm making more than $18 on each one of those. Ebooks, obviously there's no cost on that. So there's good margin there for anybody. Audio, depending if it's a physical audio, those tend to be pretty pricey with good revenue for the author. Uh, we have audio. We just did the audio for Joanne's new book, Creating a Haven of Peace. We did it internally. It's all ours. I paid to have the audio produced. So it's all ours. So that means every time we sell it, it's 100% profit. So that's profitable for the author as well. Love your question. I'm not sure what motivated your question, but I, I love, love your question. Um, you know what? I think we're going to, well, let me do one more here that has to do with music. Dan, my brother and I started doing some writing instrumental music together. Uh, this comes from Matt. I love writing music that paints a picture. Think thematic style writing or think John Williams writing the soundtrack to Jurassic Park. We just aren't writing to a movie. We write to a particular event or theme in our head. Here's an example of music. Give me a little clip there. We have a professional studio set up that allows us to actually write, play, and record the music. One thing I've thought about doing to make a little money would be marketing to people who may want us to write and record an instrumental piece to one of their favorite memories in life. A so sort of soundtrack your life type of idea. Maybe have them provide a list of some of their favorite songs or music so that we know what style they like, as well as pictures or a description of what they want us to write and what the way they want it to feel. Uh, we are no, by no means the best at this, and it takes a lot of time to write music, so I'm just wondering how feasible something like this may be. Okay, so on and so forth. Now, Matt, I think, that, I think doing that, creating original music for a person, which is a soundtrack of their life, I don't think you'll ever make that fly. 
I don't think there's any way you could charge enough to make it reasonable for your work and effort on that and to have a one, one and done product. And the only way you make music, make money in music is to have something that's scalable. That means you, you need to have something that creates residual income, something that you can do one time and get paid 10,000 times. That's not the model you're describing here. So I wouldn't encourage you to do that. But if you take somebody like my friend, uh, John Tesh, you know, he does a lot of instrumental music, kind of like what you're, you've got here, but then he does that where it gets played on Pandora or he creates albums or he'll do a concert at Red Rock, you know, where people will pay to come to the concert where he'll sing and play and have other music guests in. I mean, there's ways you can put it together like that, but you have to think about a more robust business model that has some more components for your multiple streams of income than having just one where you would do original music. Uh, we have a young man in the 48 days community who did that. I mean, I have a CD that's framed on the wall in our hallway with a piece that he did for Joanne only. And it's beautifully done. It's a piece done for Joanne Miller. Now we love that and it's beautifully done, but I don't think that it's scalable. I don't think you can turn that into a business that sustains itself. That would have to be a very small part of something else. So hey, like other artists, musicians, I mean, I love the field that you're talking about. Yes, I do believe there are possibilities there, but I think you need to expand your list beyond what it is that you've identified right there. Well, Stuck there we go. The Stuck in the JLB. You know, we didn't even talk about JLBs today. Everybody's questions were kind of outside of that. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. If you're in a JOB, certainly we believe there are options for you. Look internally first, 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction comes from looking inward. What are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? What are those things you see showing up as recurring themes? From those, you can get a clear focus and start to make a list of what are the options. It may be to get another J-O-B. It may be to have five companies as clients of yours for what it is that you do uniquely, your unique value. Maybe doing something else. There's a broad spectrum of applications. Once you identify what it is you do that has value, then you have the privilege of looking at a broad continuum of ways you can apply that. Having a job may be one. There's a whole lot of other things I would consider having a job as maybe 10% of the opportunities that are out there today. No matter what it is you have as a unique skill, 90% are going to be outside of that. Those are things you can explore as well. Choose what fits you. Hold your head high, do it with excellence, but know that there are a lot of options. Don't tell me you're stuck. You're not. You're not stuck. You need to broaden your possibilities, expand your creative thinking, go back to that list about the seven things that immigrants do, open your own door to success. Well, a lot happening here. Thanks for being part of this community where we believe in big possibilities, where we are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful purposeful and profitable. 